Good morning, family. It's still morning. We can be more enthused. Good morning, everyone. Let me begin with prayer. Lord, I just thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for your plans and hope that supersede ours, for the guidance and direction, Lord, that when we seek you, um, puts us in right places. So I just ask, Lord, that that um, you speak to our hearts, that you speak through me, that, that um, we walk away today with more hope in what you have to offer us. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we start rolling um, into the, the first week of Advent on hope specifically, I want to spend a little bit of time and just explain a little bit about what Advent is and where it came from. And um, it's initially from the, the Latin word adventus, which means coming, or it can also mean arriving. And in the fourth and fifth century in Spain, in Gaul, 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 I'll go with Gaul. I probably have that wrong. Somehow the first service didn't seem to bother me, but now it's, it's just not there. Um, in preparation for Christian baptisms in the new year in January for um, the Feast of Epiphany, they would fast and prepare themselves for that. And um, the, the Feast of Epiphany was the focus of God's incarnation. It's the, the time that we celebrate the Magi coming to, the, to Jesus as the Christ child and saying, um, and recognizing that he was the King of Kings, that God came to earth for us. And so the initial focus was, was on that, and a lot of the new Christians would become baptized at that feast at that point in time. As it went a little bit later in the 6th century, the Roman Christians started adding to this, um, not Christmas, but the idea of the second coming. They were focused on the ascension and, and, and that, that Christ would be returning on the cloud, coming for a second coming. So the focus shifted to to Christ being incarnate, to to adding on, or more of a focus on what he would bring. Um, And then um, Advent became a little bit more formalized and part of the church in the 11th and 12th century um, in Europe. And and that's when it kind of shifted to being celebrated during this time for the four weeks leading up to, to Christmas. So there's a couple of perspectives about Advent that are a part of that then. One of them being is that Christ came in the flesh. That um, we look at what he has done in the past for us, that he was made incarnate, and he did that to reconcile us to him, as as Red talked about earlier, that, that it's what he did for us that we're recognizing. And then... We also want to look at the fact that he is with us. He is Emmanuel. He is Christ with us. He is in us. So as we go through the day, he is currently in relationship with us. So we have what he's done for us in the past. We have the fact that he is with us and a part of us. And then we have um, that he's going to be in glory returning at the end of time, that in the future he will come again. And so the intent is during Advent that we'd be focusing on all three of these aspects, what he has done, who he is with us, and what, and what are the promises, what does the future hold with him returning to us. And in reflecting on these, we actually find ourselves being transformed. 
that it changes who we are. In fact, it'd make a great story. Like you could have a ghost of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future and be transformed to being also, from being Scroogey to being a better person. Something Adventist might be happening in the Christmas carol. So today, we're starting with the first candle. We had the reading, which is the, the, the purple candle, the, the candle of hope. And then there's um, the candle of peace, joy, and love that we'll be going through in the next um, three weeks. So we'll have four weeks total. And um, over, depending upon what church you are, what denomination or, t- or, or um, time, sometimes it's been called the prophet's candle, the angel's candle, candle, the shepherd's candle, and the magi candle. Um, you could be doing faith, pre- preparation, joy, and love, or, or faithfulness and hope and joy and love. But you kind of get the idea there's these core ideas, core ideals that are, are centered around the ideas of hope, um, peace, joy, and love that then tie to the fact that what Christ done for us, who Christ is with us, and what Christ will be doing in the future. And then on Christmas Eve, there's the white candle in the center, which is the Christ candle that we, we light in honor of him um, coming on Christmas. So as we enter into hope, I wanted to to recognize that we all have hope, even in a generic sense, that hope is this feeling or expectation or desire for a certain thing to happen. And that, that, that having those desires or those expectations are essential to us getting out of bed in the morning, they're essential to us making our way through the day. And um, the reason I know all of you have some level of hope is because without hope, we lose the will to live. That, that when you're in a place of hopelessness, we, we start to lose rationality and, and, and unthinkable things become thinkable because when we don't have hope, we lose the will to live. Um, Job, when, when he was trying to figure out where his hope had gone, kind of spoke that my spirit is broken, my days used up, my grave is dug and waiting. That feeling of overwhelming depression that had hit him, um, had left him in a place where he was, he was on the verge of hopelessness. Now, today's message is on hope, not hopelessness. But the one thing we can look at then is if we are in a place where we are hopeless or we don't have something, that the other thing that hope does is hope restores life. Hope brings life back into us. It animates us. It encourages us. It drives us. And there's kind of a spectrum of hopes. I mean, there's the little hopes like, I hope I get a good cup of coffee this afternoon. Right. I hope, I hope there's pie with dinner. Cake would be okay, but I kind of hope there's pie. Now, if I don't get my pie, I may be disappointed and crushed, but only for a moment, and I can move on. But there's other hopes that we have that, that may be bigger. There, there might be that hope that this person I really like, when I let them know how much I like me, will they respond in the same way? Is the connection I see with them, is it just me or is it an us? And we take that risk, and, and if they respond well, we're super excited, and if they respond other than we had anticipated, it's a pretty crushing blow. And, and we have hopes in our lives, hopes for what we'll accomplish, hopes for a legacy we'll lead, hopes for the amount of income we'll earn, or, or what our family would look like, or that we, that we will have a family. 
that can be a pretty big deal when they, when they don't fall through. And I remember a period in my life, gosh, almost 20 years ago now, where um, my marriage was falling apart. I was sleeping on the couch and, and I had done everything I could think of. I'd gone to counseling. Um, we had gone to counseling. I'd done everything I could to try to make that relationship work. And I didn't have hope for that relationship anymore. It was falling apart. It was coming undone. Um, and I remember just being in, in and I, I, I didn't have a saving faith at this point, so I didn't even know what to hang on to. And I remember sitting there in the dark, not being able to sleep, not even knowing what would get me going in the morning. And I felt like I just had the sense that if I could get through this dark valley, that there was light at the end of the tunnel. If I could just make it a little bit longer, there was something coming that was better. And I had no clue what it was. And, and that's kind of what I clung on to. I clung on to something I didn't know what it was to just keep me going because I didn't have any other reason going because it seemed like everything I touched my hand to fell apart and failed. Now there's 78 verses in the New Testament that contain the Greek words for hope, which is elpis or um, elpisio. It's, it's, it's um, both the, the noun and the verb, and, it, and, it's, and it's, it's translated most frequently as hope, but it also could be waiting or anticipation. Um, what's interesting to me that of the 78 verses that contain the word hope, only three of them show up in the Gospels. And Jesus only uses the Greek word for hope once. At first I thought it was surprising and then I kind of got to thinking about it. And I think the reason is, is Jesus incarnate is hope. He didn't have to speak hope. He brought hope everywhere he went. He, he carried hope with him so he didn't have to speak about it. Um, the most frequent author of hope is also the most frequent author in the New Testament, which would be Paul. And... Um, and the, the book of Romans has the most incidents, although um, Acts has a lot of them too. The interesting thing is it's not written by Paul, it's written by Luke, but Luke is often quoting Paul's journey and what Paul is saying. So <laughs> Paul was one to speak a lot of hope in, in a lot of his epistles, and, and Romans make among the one that he speaks that hope most frequently. So, Three times in the, in the Gospels, the word hope is used. And, and the first one I want to focus on is in John 5. And um, this is Jesus speaking. And he's talking, this is early in his ministry, and he's talking to others about how they're receiving him or responding to them. And he says, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek glory that comes from only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, upon whom you have set your hope. For if you, were belie for if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me, but if you do not believe believe his writings, how will you believe my work? Now, he was not dissing Moses in this moment. 
In fact, he's giving Moses great honor, but what he's saying is you, instead of being focused on what Moses spoke about the truth of the Messiah who was coming, you're focusing on worshiping Moses himself. In fact, it's not a new thing. We see it in Exodus 32 when Moses is on the mountain with God for 40 days, receiving the Ten Commandments written by God in the rock, these rock slabs front and back. And then in the midst of that, he finds out that things aren't going well back in camp. And, and, and Moses intercedes for the people saying, well, they're, they're kind of a stupid people, but, you know, forgive them, Lord. And um, what had happened is the people, because Moses was gone for so long, wanted Aaron to make them a god. And Aaron fashioned a god, a, a god out of gold, this, this calf. And it, they actually made this proclamation over it. Just for context, God has, with all these plagues, set them free from Egypt. This is just a couple weeks, you know, this is a month or so later. This isn't like a long time. He's gotten them across the Red Sea. He's taken out the the Pharaoh's army. He was pursuing to capture them. And um, they get tired of waiting, so they fashion a God that they can bow down to. And, And Aaron says, these are our gods and tomorrow we'll feast to the Lord. And they're not talking about Yahweh. They're not talking about God. They're talking about this God that they've fashioned. Now, they had 400 years of slavery, so being free thinkers probably wasn't a big thing for them right now, but their focus was on a God that was inside a span of control that they could understand and they could, they could get their hands around. And instead of placing their hope in the God who had set them free, they placed their hope into something they had created. On his way down, when he found what happened, Moses broke the tablets. Not purposely, but as he threw them down in grief and anger. And he sounded like there was a war going on, but then he found out from, from Joshua, one of the few people that remained loyal, that they were actually partying in, 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 in this, this worship of this God they had created. And he grabbed the sons of Levi, and they went through the camp, and tried to restore order, and over 3,000 men died that day. The point isn't the number of deaths. The point is when they set their hope on a wrong thing, the consequences were bad. The consequences weren't good. And I would submit that our lives reflect what we hope in. and, And then we bear the consequences of those choices. It isn't a punishment. It's that we choose where we place our hope and what that hope will look like. Now, in Luke, Christ doesn't talk about hope, but this, um, this is after he has died and been resurrected again, and he's walking on the road to Emmaus with these two gentlemen, and they've been telling him all these things that have, he says, all this crazy stuff's going on, and so he, and they don't recognize they're actually walking with Jesus, and he asks the question, what things? Just trying to get a sense for where they're at, and here's their response, and they say to him, well, the events concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a, a man who is a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, now is the third day since these things happened. They had hoped. They had hoped that he would redeem Israel. There was in the, the nation of Israel, within the people, this idea that, that, that God would save them from the Roman 
um, the, the Roman Empire just as he'd saved them from the Egyptian Empire. That they were desiring the return of the Messiah that had been prophesied. But he wasn't there yet. Now, there's also another interesting that happens during this period of time. I want to go back now before uh, as Christ was just born to, to another thing that occurs is that after he's born, shortly thereafter, within the next three months, uh, Mary and Joseph go up to the temple. And they go up to the temple to dedicate Jesus because that's the thing that you did with your, your firstborn male child. And on the way, they run into a guy by the name of Simeon. Now, Simeon... This is actually in Luke 2.5. The scripture's not up there. But Simeon had the Holy Spirit upon him. And the Holy Spirit had promised Simeon that you will not die until you see the Messiah. And, and Simeon wanted to see the comforter for the nation of Israel. And then when Mary and Joseph walk up with his baby, Simeon, through the Holy Spirit, recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah. He recognizes the fulfillment of the prophecy in a human male child, not in an angel, not on something coming on a cloud, but in this innocent, helpless child. He recognizes that God is doing a work. And he says, oh, Lord, allow me to depart in peace according to your promise now, for I have seen your salvation prepared in the view of all, revealing the light to the Gentiles and a glory to the people of Israel. Simeon knew that Jesus came not just for the Jews, not just for the nation of Israel, but also to set the Gentiles free. That God's plan was much bigger than the nation of Israel, even though they couldn't see it. And it's pretty remarkable, because if you understood how Jews looked at the Hoyim, which is their word for Gentile, for the unclean, that they wouldn't even bring him in their house to eat because it would desecrate their house, that they were like the N-word, Norwegians. <laughs> that there was a lot of distrust between, between the Jews and the Gentiles because they considered them unclean and they were God's chosen people for a purpose, but they didn't understand that that it had already been revealed in Scripture, there's this mystery, and the mystery was that God didn't just come for the Jews, he came for the Gentiles. He came for all of us. And that he needed the nation of Israel to preserve that moment and to bring Jesus into the world. Now, if we look at Matthew, we start seeing Jesus in action um, another time with hope. And Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him and he healed them all. And then he ordered them not to make him known. This was to fill the prophecy spoken by the prophet Isaiah, which is found in Isaiah 42, one through four. And, um, and, he, and that, that prophecy was, behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. This is the Lord speaking about Jesus. In fact, that's the first thing he says when Jesus is baptized, right? With you, son, I am well pleased. And Jesus hasn't done anything yet. Because that's the relationship of the father with his son. And by Christ's work, that's also the relationship of the father with us. And then he goes on to say, I put my spirit upon him. 
and he will proclaim justice to the nations or justice to the Gentiles. And then continued, he will not... He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. Which they expected the Messiah to come like on a horse with a mace, and he was going to take out the Roman Empire. They didn't understand that God cared far more about our souls and our ability to connect with him than he did about the physical world that we lived in. They didn't understand it. Until he brings justice to victory and in his name, the nations, the Gentiles, will hope. That Jesus brings hope. He is the incarnate of hope. Now, I'd mentioned that I'd had this dark journey. And at the end of that journey was me going back to school to get my master's in business. And I met this wonderful lady there by the name of Kristen, who some of you know. (laughs) And I came to a relationship with the Lord and our family went from being these two single parents to being this gobbledygook of of a marriage we call blended families, which looks a lot like foster families with, with X's instead of DHS and other things. It was, it was not clean is what I'm telling you. It was messy. There might be, as, as somebody pointed out, a lot of poop that we had to clean up. Um, not, not spiritually, but just in the daily living. There was so much trauma that everybody had gone through and it, it wasn't a smooth time. But I had gotten my MBA complete. I got a great job. Um, I worked out up in Portland for three years and then I took a severance from them and I was kind of glad to be back home because I was driving up to Portland two or three times a week and staying up there for as much as a week at a time. I wanted to be home with my family. And then we spent some time looking and I came into the best job I'd ever had. It was a job, in fact, as I was looking, I was going through the unemployment and I made a list of the top 10 things I'd want in a job. And this was like a wish list, you could call it a hope list of things I would love to have in a job. And I put these 10 things down with the hope that I could get some of them. I didn't expect to get all of them. And in this job, I got all of them. And I remember looking at it and going, oh Lord, you answered this prayer far more than I expected. I, I didn't expect to have a job this good. And it's like all of my aspirations for being able to use my giftings, for being able to to be in a place where I could lead, to, to having an impact on our community. I mean, it was going great. And I, I had been there for a while, and I remember praying this prayer, and I don't recommend you pray this prayer, because it can have consequences. I remember praying, Lord, if this wonderful thing is coming in between my relationship with you, then I don't want it. I did not tell Kristen I prayed that prayer. <laughs> And within a month and a half, I no longer had that job. Now, I'm not saying it was just an answer to that prayer. But I do think it was in, in, in part. And that's why I'm saying I don't recommend that. And, and it was devastating because the best thing I had longed for had been answered and fulfilled. I'd had prophecies over it as long as I was seeking God in that, that I'd have that for the rest of my life. 
And I was, I was pretty devastated. And I, but there was also this other hope in me at the same time, and I could not reconcile the two. And so I actually went to a cabin in the snow for three days, and I sought the Lord, and I asked him, after I'd been there for a while, I was on the couch, and I asked him this question. I said, God, did you design me to go back into the workforce and shine the light there, or are you asking me to go into ministry? And, and I heard this audible voice that I knit it within you, and I found myself flat on my face on the ground, and I didn't know, I mean, I knew that what he was saying is I knit you to be a pastor, and I had no clue what it takes because that had never been my arc. That hadn't been my story. And that, that, was, that was almost, um, you know, I was 10, 12 years ago. And so I began the journey and I had other jobs and, and I worked at U of O and at, at New Hope and, and my poor family <laughs> had to go on that journey with me. It wasn't pretty, it wasn't clean. The reality is when I received that message from the Lord, I was not ready to be a pastor. My character was not where it needed to be in order for me to step into that position. And then um, about five years ago, I find myself in the pulpit at, at Spencer Creek Lutheran Church because they'd lost their pastor and I was coordinating pulpit and that turned into my being the interim pastor there for four years. And I'm like, oh Lord, you answered that prayer, thank you. Not a good place to be. I'm getting to, to do the gift I want. It's not always easy. It's hard sometimes. In fact, it's harder than I expected it to be. <laughs> but it's a good thing. So I kept rolling in it. And uh, as I was there and, 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 and ministering, we got to the point where praying for the direction of the church. We did a 21 days of praying and fasting. I'm not saying I fasted for 21 days. I'm saying the church collectively prayed and fast for the direction of the church. And I was asking God the question, where, Lord, do you want to take me? Where are you leading me? Where do you want me to go? And it, at the end of that, I felt convicted that it was time for me to say goodbye to them. I, I, um, we went to actually the prayer summit, and I had these, all these incredible words spoken to me. And my, my question going to the prayer summit wasn't, should I stay or should I go now? Sorry, wrong song. <laughs> should I stay or should I go? My question was, do I, when do I go? Because I know it's time to leave, but that doesn't mean leave tomorrow. And the, and the Lord put on my heart to stay through Easter. So I made Easter my last Sunday there, April 1st, 2018. And um, by the way, the next Sunday, which would have been April 8th, 2018, I was here. <laughs> um, but the biggest thing that was weighing on me and probably the biggest encouragement I got at the prayer summit was if I'm leaving, who's going to take care of the flock? Because I don't want to leave them alone. That's not fair to them. And when I got back to tell the elders that I, I, that I was giving my notice in effect that I, I needed to move on, it turned out that they had a pastor from the AFLC who was retired, who was willing to come, who was focused on outreach and prayer and who actually knew who we, we had some similar values. So it was actually, um, and he was going to arrive the following week, but they had one week without a pastor. And I'm like, oh, Lord, thank you for answering that prayer. And so we came here to rest and refresh. And uh, next thing you know, somebody was asking me to be a janitor for Jesus here. And then, and, and then that grew into to some pastoral responsibilities until finally there was the question mark, were you willing to come on full time? Now, I need to let you know that Chris and I, as, as Joshua had said, had known the staff here for about 10 years. 
And I'll say that we love the staff here. And I remember as I was pastoring, I was like, I would love to be part of a team, not solo. Boy, wouldn't it be great to work with them. Where could I find something like that somewhere else? Because they had too many pastors here already. I figured they didn't need any more. And they were a great team of people that loved each other. And there's a couple other groups that I would like, I would love to work with them. I'd love to be a part of that team. And, and now I stand here today with you guys, surrounded by people I love, doing a work I enjoy, being able to use the gift that God knit in my heart not, and, and, and fulfill that hope, not just the hopes I had for myself. And it's just an honor and a blessing that I'm surrounded by people. I have more relationship now than I've probably ever had in my life that are healthy and, and fun and, and it's just great. My marriage is the best it's ever been. <laughs> and I'll stop there before I get in more trouble. So uh, if our lives reflect what we hope in, then it's pretty important to figure out where we're placing our hope. And there's the small hopes, and then there's those bigger hopes. And I also wanna to submit to you, there's the hopes that we've created in ourselves that we're connecting to and we're going for. And then there's these hopes that are beyond that, these hopes that are bigger, these hopes that I believe God has put in our heart. And sometimes they take a long time to come to fruition, but I just wanna invite you and I, um, I'd like to ask the prayer team to start coming forward. I want to invite you that as you are looking inward, is what hopes has God placed in your heart? What things are in you? What dreams are there for you to fulfill that you may not understand, but maybe it's time to start pursuing? And having those hopes you have crushed is one of the most devastating things in the world. But I want to submit to you that sometimes... It's that that timing isn't right, not that you should stop pursuing it. That if you have a hope that the Lord has placed in your heart, if you continue to pursue that, I believe he will fulfill it. And often what he's doing is he's helping you work through your character to get your character to a place that you can fully engage in what he has for you. And it may be a messy journey, but I can attest that at the end, you'll find it well worth it. So I wanna leave you with a blessing that Paul wrote in Romans, that may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that, the power of the Holy, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And I would add that as you live and breathe hope, that you are a hope to those around you as well. So we just praise you and thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.